I've been at pains to emphasize in the last number of months that Romans 9 through 11 are dealing, is dealing with the subject of the rejection of the gospel by the Jews. And uh, what does that mean regarding God's purpose towards Israel and the extension of the kingdom in that nation? But having mentioned that as the, really the overarching theme of these three chapters, and we, we can see in chapter 10 themes regarding the subject of evangelism or the extension of the gospel kingdom. In fact, in many ways, you could look at chapter 10 in isolation as, a, as an interesting detail or giving interesting details regarding the nature of gospel spread. You think of the burden of evangelism. The burden there in the opening verses are regarding Paul's burden for the salvation of sinners. That evangelism is, is birthed in the spirit of prayer. That a, a church that is not praying properly will not evangelize properly. The evangelism and the prayer will always come together. Those who care for souls in prayer will take that care into the world. And those who bring the word to the people will also they'll bring the people to God in prayer. These things always overlap in evangelical churches. And so there's a burden of prayer, there's a heart of evangelism, a recognition of man's depravity, the, the blindness and the foolishness and the lostness of lost souls. And yet God's mercy in making the gospel available to sinners. There's the, the burden and the thrust of evangelism. You've also got the beauty of evangelism here. And that beauty is seen in the preaching of the gospel. The feet of those who preach the gospel, they are said in verse 15 to be beautiful. And so you've got the, the method of evangelism in the preaching of the word of God. And the burdens there, prayer. The methods there in preaching. And then the progress is seen in terms of the belief in the gospel in verses 16 through to the end. There are those who believe and there are those who do not believe. Again, the, the hope of the evangelist is that some who hear the word of God will indeed call upon the Lord and be saved. So you, you see these three really dominant thoughts in this chapter regarding the subject of evangelism. And thus, we must, by God's grace, have such a burden for souls. But we must be eager to see them saved and must earnestly pray to that end. But praying for souls to be saved in the detail of this chapter surely also implies that we're praying for God to use the means appointed, namely the preaching of the word. And that's why I was happy to bring this passage as we come to pray this afternoon. Because drawing together these two aspects, a burden for souls seen in prayer will always be seen in a burden to pray for God to bless his appointed means, namely the preaching of the word of God. And so that's what I want to pray about this afternoon. I want us to pray very focusedly and in a very uh, direct fashion for God to bless the public ministry of the word of God. You see, we are confronted in modern days with a problem. The problem we find ourselves living through is that souls are not being saved in great numbers. By God's grace, souls are still being saved, but not in great number. And that has the consequence in some circles of causing people to suspect the method being used. If only we changed our methods, if only we changed our approach, if only we were more modern in a, in a, in a modern world, more developed, perhaps using more media sources, whatever it might be, just we need to rethink what we do. Understandable. These are people who are not careless for souls. They want to see souls saved. 
they see souls are not being saved, and they think, well, how do we fix the problem? Well, let's, let's change the method. And of course, that is flawed thinking. Now, we may be guilty of doing things incorrectly. We certainly may be guilty of, of sin in the church, in the camp, that really God is not pouring His blessing upon the, uh, the church for various reasons. That's entirely possible. But the problem is not the method. The method is appointed of God. God did not need to advance the gospel through public preaching. But he chose to do so. God could have thundered with his own voice from the heavens. He could announce the gospel in that manner. But he chose for his own ends and purposes to use the preaching of the gospel. And to that end, we must submit to God's perfect will and pray over that perfect will, that we would not question the will of God, but rather pray for God's blessing upon our churches and our missionaries, particularly in respect to their preaching of the gospel. So note, first of all, please, then, the foundation of preaching. If we're seeing preaching as God's means for the advance of the gospel, please note the foundation of preaching. Because the preaching of the gospel rests upon the same foundation as prayer, Namely, God's willingness to save the sinner. You see, the context of preaching is seen in in two ways. These are things we noticed last week. First of all, in verses 6 and following, you see the accessibility of God's Word. God's Word is available. It says that. The righteousness, which is of faith, in other words, the the gospel message, verse 6 and following, is not undiscoverable. We don't need to go on great voyages north up to heaven or down to the depths, but rather the word is nigh thee, verse number eight. In fact, it is the word of faith, and that is the word, what's it say, which we preach. So the foundation of preaching is the will of God to make the gospel accessible through the public ministry of the word of God. In sending out messengers to proclaim and herald the gospel, That is a demonstration of God's will to save souls. So God has made his word accessible. And that's the the foundation of our going forward to preach the word of God. But not only is there the accessibility of God's word, there is a generosity of God's heart, verse number 12. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And that thought of the calling upon him then leads to the continuation of verse 13 through 15. Whoever calls shall be saved. Then verse 14, how shall they call? And the conclusion of that is, how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, the ordination of preaching is a display of the generosity of God's heart. That God has put his word into the hearts of men and they take that out and God's generosity is shown as the gospel is freely offered. A gift to be received a message to believe, a Christ to trust, demonstrating the generosity of God's heart towards sinners. You see, the purpose of preaching is to produce a faith that calls upon the Lord. Produce a faith that saves. We preach for results. We preach for God to deal with souls. But we preach for that result because we believe that God responds to those who call. 
We believe that God saves souls. The foundation of preaching is the willingness of God to save the sinner. Hence, we preach the gospel. If we did not believe that God was willing to save, would we really preach at all? The foundation of preaching. But secondly, please note the features of this preaching. Again, I want to remind you of this. We are here today, I trust by God's grace, going to spend some time in praying over our denomination, our churches and our missionaries, praying that they will remember what the task is. And so going back to the basics of the features of preaching is vital. And so you're, you're praying for this church or that church, you pray for the minister, that he remember these things, that he not forget the basics, that he would not get distracted and discouraged by the challenges, but rather remember what God has sent them to do. Believe it or not, there are men, and they can forget these things. We can all forget these things. And you've got to come back to foundations. What is preaching all about? Well, first of all, please note the necessity of preaching. Verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, if you take that verse, and you just put it all into one, the conclusion is very simple. Souls cannot be saved without hearing the Word of God preached. Again, I'm not suggesting that somebody cannot be saved to reading the Bible that happens. But in God's ordinary providence, it is through the preaching of the Word of God that souls are converted. You see, as faith is essential, so preaching is essential. It's necessary to the end of achieving that faith because faith in the heart that believes is then expressed in calling. Okay, you get the language here, verse 14. How shall they call in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So there's a pathway here. They hear about Christ, they believe in Christ, then they call upon Christ, and as they call upon Christ, they're saved. That's the, the pathway, the sequence there. Hear in the ear, believe in the heart, call with the mouth, and are saved. That's how God saves souls. Nothing new, nothing changing there. But preaching is necessary to that end. You see, faith requires the knowledge of Christ. The confession is made in verse 9 and 10 it's a confession of knowledge. You know, one of the great dangers and damages done by a liberal cause was to give the idea that souls, unreached souls, would be converted and saved in God's mercy without ever hearing the gospel. That if people didn't hear the gospel in this land or that land, well, God would be merciful to them. They didn't hear the gospel. They didn't have the opportunity to reject it. Therefore, they'll be saved in God's mercy. This passage stands against that. There are unreached people who will not be saved until they hear the gospel. There is no salvation without the knowledge of Christ Jesus. They must hear the word of Christ. And not just the name Jesus, but the doctrines behind the name and revealed in the name. Not, not just the story of the, of the gospel, but the significance of that story. Again, I've said several times now in my my opposition to movies and television programs that purport to, to present the gospel. And there, I have several reasons. I've highlighted some before, but let me give you another one. They do not explain the nature of penal substitution. 
They give the storyline without explaining the doctrines behind the storyline. And that is not gospel preaching. You must understand that Christ Jesus came into the world as a perfect sinless Savior, to die as a perfect sacrificial substitute. In my place condemned he stood. And you know these things, but that's part of gospel preaching. And so ordinarily there is no salvation without the preaching of the Word of God. And here the context is of the declar- declaration of the Word of God. You look at verse number 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The preacher is declaring God's Word. This is necessary. It's vital for souls to be converted. Now, yeah, I understand there is a benefit of private testimony. Of you telling someone, I was blind, but now I see. There's a great benefit in that. But God has chosen particularly a favor the preaching of the Word. The public heralding of the Word of God. Now, when the church was scattered from Jerusalem at the time of the persecution of Saul, they went everywhere gossiping the Word of God. They, they shared the truth, and God blessed that. But that does not undermine the importance of the public declaration and the heralding of the Word of God. And in the context here, not only is that preaching necessary, but it also comes with authority. There's authority involved here. And I would say, again, without embarrassment, what's involved here in preaching is not referring to the, if you like, the blessed work of personal evangelism. I'm not decrying that for one second. Please understand me. That's a, that's a benefit and a tremendous means that God uses. But God's Method to save souls ordinarily is the public declaration of the Word of God. The word that you're preaching here is the word of the herald. But the herald is mentioned in verse number 14, or verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? And it's a language of sending here that makes me conclude this passage is highlighting particularly those who are set apart and sent out for the ministry of the Word of God in public service. That's the main focus here. The sending here ultimately is by God. But in the language of the New Testament church, it also comes in the context of the church. You see, turn back, please, to Acts chapter 13. Because the first place we see this sending, we we see it by the Lord, don't we? We see the Lord sending men out uh, to labor in the word in the gospel time. The 12 and 70, they're sent out to, to preach the word of God. In Acts chapter 13, we have a similar sending. Saul and Barnabas, verse number 2. Again, verse 6 and verse 3. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. The church is involved in the sending of men into the mission field. Verse 4. So then, here's the balance, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. So how are are the heralds sent? Well, they're, they're called by God. They're gifted by God. They're, they're, like they're set apart by the Lord. And that is then recognized by the church. So the church and the Lord, they are working in the sending forth of men to labor in the preaching of the word of God. That's the means that God has used for the advance of his kingdom. And it is our absolute responsibility to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth Men, laborers into the harvest field. We must pray for that. If we are not praying for that, we're not praying the will of God. 
We've been told to pray that very prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field. We've got to pray for God to send men, to save young men, to equip young men, and then to thrust them out into the gospel ministry. And as such, they come not in embarrassment, not with shame, but as heralds of the word of God, knowing they're sent by the Lord to bring the word of the Lord's king. Authority. Thirdly, simplicity. We preach Christ. In the passage, it's marked this matter of simplicity. We, we preach Christ. Verse 8 and 9, the word of faith is a word about Christ. Confessing Christ, confessing Him as Lord, the Lord Jesus, He who is Son of God and God's anointed Christ. Christ who is, again, the one who died and rose again from the dead. Verse number 9, we, we preach Christ. We encourage sinners to look upon Him, to admire Him, to consider Him. We are to bring good news. Verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace that bring glad tidings of good things. You know, if God has given you the, if you like, the qualifications and the giftedness to be an evangelist, you may not be a preacher in the sense in which I've been asked to preach the word of God, but you're a preacher in a, in a sense in a public square, make sure people know you're preaching good news. Even your personal witness. Don't forget it's good news. Preach a smile on your face, so to speak. We have good news, the best of news for the worst of times to the worst of sinners. We have a happy message to share. And yes, I understand the importance of bringing about conviction of sin. But again, the tendency in a sinful world is to emphasize the law and sin and not to preach the good news. We preach a lot about sin. Again, you'll, you'll see many in the public square, street evangelists, and all they're doing is preaching about sin. They're condemning all the sin. This sin, that sin. And I get it, it's all sinful. But there's no good news. We're called to preach the good news. To proclaim that in such a sinful time, there is a Savior from sin. His name is Jesus. This good news is a message of peace, isn't it? Verse 15. It is the gospel of peace. It's interesting that is the term that's brought to the fore. Peace. It implies conflict, hostility, and enmity. You see, those who sin, they are at enmity with God. They're in a relationship against God, at war with God. And the gospel comes and brings peace. You see, those who are saved in verse number 9, those who are saved who call upon the Lord, verse number 13, they are brought into a reconciled state with God. It is good news whereby those who hate God come to love God. And those with whom God is angry are those with whom God now is at peace. That is the great gospel message. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. No longer at enmity and at war with God, but at peace with God. When you go back to the gospel narrative of Luke, you will see he emphasizes this matter of peace. John the Baptist comes and he brings this light to the Gentiles. But yes, it's about peace with God. The angels come. Good news. Good tidings. Peace 
on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace achieved through Christ. Again, verse 14. How shall they believe in whom, of whom they have not heard? We preach Christ. Necessity of preaching, the authority of preaching, the simplicity of preaching, and then the beauty of preaching. Verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. It's always been a striking imagery. It's, of course, quoting from Isaiah 52, verse 7. We saw that in our studies in Isaiah 53. It's referring again to the context there of the messenger bringing news of the return of the captives. Again, the good news, the captives have been set free. And so it is for the preacher. We bring the good news that those who are captive to sin, to Satan, they can be set free by Christ. And the, the beauty is, if God, it's not in the feet so much. It's in the message those feet carry. The beauty of preaching Christ. Do you remember who first told you the gospel? Some of you may not. But some of you have a conversion where you, you know the time when you first heard the gospel preached. And you would say, no, oh, those feet were beautiful. They brought the good news to my ear. And it thrilled my soul. The feats of preaching. We must not forget these things. You must pray for your ministers and your missionaries that they do not forget these things. Not get distracted. And laid aside by every possible thing that Satan would put in their pathway to prevent them from simply proclaiming Christ Jesus. Which leads lastly to the freeness that Mark's preaching. The whosoever. It's implied in verse number 13. Whosoever is all manner of men. Everybody. Whoever they are, wherever they are, if they call upon the Lord, they shall be saved. I get the condition, there's a condition there. It's not that God saves everybody, but God will save everybody who calls upon Christ in faith. And the everybody here, the whosoever here, is referring to the extent of the gospel offer. It is to all manner of men and women in all manner of places. It is this idea of the, of the, the great gospel commission to go into all the world of the gospel. Preach to all, for all may be saved. The Lord is generous not only to the Jew, verse number 12, but also to the Greek or the Gentile. God is generous to all manner of men, and he will save and show mercy as he wills. But the gospel must be preached to all mankind, irrespective of their religious upbringing, cultural background, or particular sins. There's no unreachable group. All must be reached with the gospel. We had a conversation in seminary this past week regarding the issue of the LGBT community. We were discussing the terminology of gay Christian. And Brother Ken, remember in the debates you men had again over a number of weeks ago now that the argument of those who were advocating for gay Christian was that the term should be used in order to indicate that the LGBT community were not unreachable with the gospel. Because the perception they have is that the gospel is not for them. And so 
those who are choosing to obey the word of God and they're, 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 they identify as being gay, but they're not really gay. They're, they're celibate. They're not sinning in these things. They say, well, I'm going I'm to say I'm a gay Christian so I can reach that community. The thinking is entirely wrong. Entirely wrong. To put a sinful identity with the word Christian is oxymoronic. It doesn't help. But I get the burden. I get the burden. In Northern Ireland, there were those in the Roman Catholic population who felt that the gospel was not for them. That's a Protestant message. We, we, we couldn't come to your church. That's a Protestant church only. Catholics can't come to that church. That's not even Protestants. We can't come to the church building. You get the point I'm making? That there are, are sectors of society that they believe the gospel is not for them. Partly because of their sin, partly because of their doctrinal ignorance. I understand the, the reasons, but it's our responsibility to make it clear in the public square, this word is for the whosoever, whatever their background may be. Now, I'm not suggesting for one second that they will stay as they are. The Roman Catholic will not stay in Catholic doctrine. And the LGBTQI, whoever they may be, will not stay in that sinful state. But our God justifies the ungodly. He does not justify those who are godly and thereby earn his grace. He justifies the ungodly. And there must be that freedom in the gospel preaching. And God, in his grace, will equip certain people with certain skills to reach certain people. But we must not put barriers up in our manner and in our attitude, that we give this idea that I'm a Christian and you're this and not proclaim the gospel across those barriers. Got to be very careful. And we've got to remember as a church that by God's grace, we will see people in this building from all manner of sectors of society like the first Corinthians 6 model, all manner of sinful pasts, but righteous presence. Sinful in the background, but walking with God in the present, because the gospel saves the whosoever. Pray about these things. Pray for wisdom that we know, how do we reach this community? How do we get into this area or that area in this locality? How do we reach the white, prosperous people around this church building. They're part of the whosoever. We need the grace and the wisdom and the power of God upon our ministries. So today, please pray with me. Pray for a renewed confidence in the means that God's appointed. This is what God's appointed. Pray for a renewed confidence that if God has said, this is the way, this is what God will use. Pray that by God's grace, we will bring souls in under the preach of the word of God. Your family, your friends, continue to invite them. Do not give up. Say, come with me this Lord's Day. Come under the word of God. Continue to invite souls under the word of God. God has said, this is what he uses. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Pray for renewed confidence in this. I'm asking you, please pray for me and my brethren that we would have a renewed zeal in our heart for preaching. The deadlines come.
another Lord's Day, around the corner. I've got to get a sermon prepared. I've got to put things together. And I can't make a fool of myself up here. I've got to make sure things are good. But no zeal. No burden. Just going week by week. Perhaps that's your work life. The preacher wouldn't be like that. Going through the motions of week by week by week, doing the same old things. Absolutely, we are guilty of that. Pray that they have a renewed zeal for the preaching of the Word of God. That they become with the understanding they are God's heralds, God's messengers, sent by God to bring the Word of God. Pray for that, please. Pray for a renewed vision for whom we reach with the gospel. Pray that God would extend our vision. That we truly would be those who reach the whosoever with the word of the Lord.